Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host Jack Perks and this week we're doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be releasing a different podcast each day leading up to October the 24th which is the World Fish Migration Day. Now this is a one-day global celebration to create awareness on the importance of free-flowing rivers and migratory fish. Now if you check out the description there'll be a link for worldfishmigrationday.com. Now today I've got Dr. Adrian Pinder, who is the fishery scientist at Bournemouth University, but is also director of research at the Marcia Trust. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today, the Marcia, this iconic species found across Asia. And I wanted to delve in a little bit about why are Marcia so important, but also getting some of the different aspects of river conservation in different countries. Well, nice to have you on, Adrian. Uh, lovely to be here. Thanks for having me, Jack. Yeah, I was in your neck of the woods uh, a couple of weeks ago at the on the Froom. First time I've ever been to the Froom. It's a uh, Burton Burton Fishery. Do you know that one? Um, or East Burton? I think it might East be called. Burton, yeah, I do know it well. I've yeah. um, spent many hours electric fishing. Have you on those witches in the past? Yeah, there was the so the 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 guy who runs or the guy who lives on the river, the keeper. I think Tom Rushton. I know his brother really well because his brother's a wildlife photographer. And they okay. said, do you, do you fancy having uh, a day's grayling fishing on there? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. And I didn't realise how big that, I, mean, I didn't catch any, obviously. But, but um, there's some fucking monster grayling there, isn't there? Yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you green with envy now because my field laboratory is only a little bit further downstream of there. Okay. And I caught one three pound eight ounces on on Sunday. So, Jesus, uh, that's the biggest one I've ever seen on on our reach, at least. Put, put a saddle on it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, it was quite I was hoping to do some filming, but it had coloured up a little bit. And I think I, I'm guessing if there's no rain, it clears up nicely. But um, it was a little bit mucky when I went. It it doesn't clear up quite as well as a lot of the other chalk streams. Oh, does it um, not? Yeah, various inputs. Um, once it's rained, it will hold its colour for, for longer. Best, the best time for filming would be in the summer. Ah, uh, okay. But of course, we're not here to talk about grayling and, and chalk trees, as I'm sure we could waffle on about that as well. But we're going to talk <laughs> a little bit about uh, Marcia. And I thought this would be really interesting because uh, most of these podcasts this week have been about UK fish conservation. But of course, it's World Fish Migration Day and it's to do with all things all over the world. And with your uh, director, your research director hat on for the Marcia Trust, um, you do a lot of work with them. So I just wondered for people that don't know, what, what is a Marcia? Because many people may have not heard of that fish before. Okay, well, it, funny enough, a lot of people, when, when they hear the name Marcia, they think it's a single species. In actual fact, there's, there's probably over 40 species of Marcia, but these are spread across three um, genera, um, Neolisochylus, Nazaritor, and Tor. But it's um, commonly accepted that the, the, the true Marcias are limited to the genus Tor. Now, it's first time, I think this is the first time I've been asked to describe a Marcia without the use of visual aids. <laughs> and I'm sure you've been in my talks before, Jack, where you just put up a picture of somebody holding a gigantic Marcia and everybody goes, wow, and they get it yeah. straight away. Um, but without the use of a photo, basically we're talking about cyprinids, so members of the carp family. Um, but what's special about these fish is they've got the potential to grow to massive sizes. 
um, qualifying many of these species as megafauna, uh, meaning they grow in excess of 45 kilograms. So they're some of the biggest freshwater fish on the planet. Now, I appreciate many of your listeners won't uh, be into fish, but most people will know what a carp looks like. So for those who do know about fish, if you, th if you think about half carp, half barbel, you won't be too far off the mark. But what, uh, what characterizes the Marseille is the size of their scales. They've got enormous scales. So if you look at the palm of your hand, Jack, yeah, okay. scales are, are the size of an adult human palm of a hand. That's wow. on a moderately sized fish. And as well as protecting the fish in these harsh environments they live in, they, um, they've also been historically reported to be used as playing cards as well in the past. Is that right? <laughs> um, um, I mean, these fish, they've also got big mouths, um, but they come in a range of beautiful colours as well. So silvers, golds, reds, some fish with brilliantly um, coloured blue fins. So they're really quite attractive. And because of their reputation as being one of the hardest fighting freshwater fish in the world, um, they have iconic status among anglers globally as well. Because wasn't it, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the kind of old British Empire, the guys who go and shoot a tiger or something, often when they're not shooting tigers, they'd be fishing for Marcia as well, that kind of thing. Yeah, so it was Jim Corbett who, um, who championed this transition. He was a, a, a famous hunter tracking tigers and, and shooting them. And he had a, a, a passion for catching Marcia and decided that catching Marcia was um, a greater sporting challenge than sh shooting a tiger. Um, and, and this became... Um, this um, then sort of spread throughout the um, the community, and um, yeah, it resulted in um, colonial hunters putting down their guns in favour of um, of salmon rods, trying trying to trying to catch these giant fish. And with that, there's lots and lots of stories of smashed rods, mangled hooks, and and broken lines. So. Yeah, I mean, this is where the reputation of the fish all, all stems from. Wow. I'd love to okay, It's one of those things I'd love to see at some point. So, so what are they eating then? Are they, uh, are they predators? Are they, are they uh, omnivores? What do they do? Yeah, they're, they're predators, but they're, they'll eat absolutely anything. And that goes from grazing algae off rocks to eating largest, largest fish, crabs, things like that. But they're, um, they're, they're opportunists. They'll eat what's ever available. And that, a really nice example of that is how they will um, fill their boots on, on falling fruits when various fruits come into season. So these things are living in jungle rivers, typically with um, you know, heavily um, tree-lined margins. And certainly in the, in the Western Ghats, where I've done a lot of work, um, we have mango trees overhanging in fig trees. And as these fruits um, mature, and you get a little br um, breath of wind, they'll fall onto the water surface. And these fish are there waiting, ready to smash these things. And, and we've, we've caught them on, on these baits as well. We, we, you know, you hook a, hook a little mango, not the sort of mango, size mango that you would buy in, in, in a supermarket here, but smallish mangoes, you'd hook them and chuck them out. And um, yeah, they, 
they will grab what's ever available to them. So in feeding, they're almost like a chub on steroids then? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, on steroids is a, <laughs> is a good way of describing Marseille, however you're, you know, whatever it is you're trying to, to describe about them. And you mentioned size. So what's, uh, you, you said over 45 kilograms. Is that, is that the kind of biggest they get? What, what's the sort of upper reaches of, of Marseille? Um, 50, I think 54 is the 54 kilograms. So I'm trying to work out in pounds. What's that? That's, that's well over a hundred pounds, isn't it? Yeah. So we've had reports of fish, well, we've had reports of fish much larger, but, um, photographic evidence of fish that have been weighed at 130 pounds, but the British wreck, sorry, the British record, <laughs> the, the, the world record, um, um, was a fish of 120 pounds caught from the River Carvery in 1946, I think, from memory. Don't quote me on that. No. I'd want to check my records, but um, yeah. So would fish of that size, I mean, I'm guessing there's there's nothing anywhere near that now, or is it the case that there's the odd monster lurking? Yeah, there are, Jack. It's, um, mm. There's two, in terms of the, the Marseille, there's... The, the, within the, the genus tour, there's. I'll just tell you a little bit about about the the range of different species, and then we'll come back to that. Um, but until recently, fish base um, was listing about forty different species of marsia, of which twenty three or twenty four were were considered to be valid. But Based on work that we've done over the last few years, we found evidence to support the validity of 16 different species of Marcia, which are spread across the mountain, uh, across the fast flowing rivers of South and Southeast Asia. So that goes from sort of Pakistan across to Myanmar in the Himalayas, and um, then down through India, Sri Lanka, Thailand across to Vietnam, and down into Malaysia and Indonesia. But it's, it's two species that, that tend to stand out, which seem to be, have been studied most, um, and that anglers have been interested in over all these years. And that is the very, very different beasts, but one of them is the Himalayan golden marsia, which is found in the Himalayan rivers. Um, and the other one is the humpback marsia, of, um, which is endemic only to the river carvery system. In, in South India. Now, although there's reports of the Himalayan fish growing to eight feet long, nine feet long, um, these records have never been validated. It's, I think it's just something that somebody had written once and it's just been uh, propagated through the, through the literature. But the humpback marsia, um, that's the largest fish on record. Um, and we've had records of that one up to about 130 pound, anecdotal evidence of fish 150 pound, 150 pound plus. Um, so yeah, they get, they get, they get massive. They're big boys. <laughs> yeah. So what is the Marcia Trust trying to do then? Um, there's um, sort of a, a multi-pronged approach, really. So. The, the the primary objective was to a draw attention to these fish and b act as a sort of central hub of information to to encourage anglers um, scientists conservationists to engage 
understand the importance of these fish and um, try and encourage um, greater levels of research into them to, to understand more about them and, and facilitate their conversation. Beyond that, and more recently, what we've been focusing on is how we use Marcia as flagship species to draw um, attention to the importance of more holistic river conservation and you know, drawing people's attention to the fact that we need rivers, we need clean functional rivers. This is the water we rely on to drink, um, to, um, to, to grow our crops. Without rivers we are stuffed and having healthy functional ecosystems um, is, a, is a good sign that those resources are going to be more sustainable into the future, particularly against the uh, black backdrop of um, climate change and growing populations and the increasing stress that we're putting on these systems. So, I mean, you've, I guess you kind of answered it a little bit there then, but what, what are the main threats that Marcia, Marcia face then? Okay, people, <laughs> that, 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 like everything else, uh, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a common, it's a common problem with with fish, that because people don't see them, they're, they're sort of out of sight and out of mind, and and they're not really um, considered as wildlife. So people tend do tend to ignore them, um, but in terms of unless they want to eat them, of course. So that that's among one of the key threats, and in India where um, you know people are in, in rural areas are, are, are generally poor um, catching these fish by by whatever means is um, you know important to put food on the table um, but that results in very unsustainable um, fishing methods which are illegal but we're talking about dynamite fishing poisons um, small mesh nets so all these methods are non-discriminate and they will, they will kill everything in the area, um, all species and all life stages, with the younger life stages being particularly vulnerable to a dynamite blast. So although fishermen may take one fish from the pot, the damage that they have done um, you know, accumulates um, down a reach to decimate decimate stocks so that that's one thing that that's that's the exploitation um, but there's all the other things associated with population growth as well so there's pollution there's abstraction so very little water being left in these rivers um, during low flow seasons so a lack of water and then uh, which brings us direct to world fish migration day the dreaded dams which um, when people talk about migratory fish, they typically think about diadromous fish, which move between fresh water and the sea to spawn or, or vice versa. Things like salmon, eels, shads, etc., etc. What a lot of people don't appreciate is many, you know, many freshwater species are also long distance migrants as well, relying on um, free passage between nursery areas and spawning areas to be able to complete their life histories. And Marcia fall into that category. They are long distance migrants um, that need to be able to access um, 
uh, upstream areas, tributaries, um, smaller streams to get into, which they migrate to during the monsoon to lay their eggs and spawn. And another thing that's overlooked with, with the dams as well is it's not just, people talk about the blockage of fish getting to spawning grounds. It's not just that. What, you know, even if you provide a fish pass and assuming that fish pass works and fish are able to get up there, what goes up must also come down. So the reason fish swim upstream, these rheophilic fish swim upstream to spawn, is to account for their eggs and larvae drifting downstream to populate the downstream reaches. Now, in doing that, many of these fish, particularly with the hydroelectric dams, is those fish uh, don't have anywhere to go other than straight through turbines. Um, I, I can't think of a single river within the Marcia Ranch countries, and there may be some, most of them don't have fish passes in the first place, so this isn't an issue. But um, where larvae are drifting down, I, I'm not aware of any, any of these infrastructures across um, th this area that have any sort of screening or deterrence to stop these young fish from entering the turbines. So even if fish can get up, the, the chances are many of their offspring will, will be killed as they, as they drift downstream. Just get minced up. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's with the Marcia Trust, although you're you're under the banner of Marcia, you're going to be benefiting a whole host of other species um, that, that live in the river. But but why are Marcia so crucial? Why have you chosen the Marcia then as this flagship species? OK, yeah, you mentioned the word flagship. Yeah, um, that's exactly what it is. Um, and I also mentioned about um, out of sight, out of mind. And this is something that fish in general struggle with. Um, charisma. You know, that, that it, it, unless you're a, you know, really into your fish like, like we are, Jack. Yeah. You know, you know, people don't consider fish as, as charismatic species, like the giant panda, for instance, your classic flagship, flagship species. Um, so we have to work with what, what we have, but these fish are the biggest, um, some of the biggest freshwater fish in the world. They're really important in a religious context as well. Um, so there's, there's cultural importance here. Um, so th this goes back to um, 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 the, the, the Hindu god Vishnu first incarnation was half man half fish with big scales considered to be to be half marseille and this has led to um religious um temple sanctuaries that protect these fish so so these fish sort of are on the radar in terms of religion and culture so that they provide a perfect opportunity really to use as a flagship to draw attention to everything else that lives in the river but you also, you know, you, you just ask why they're so important. So there's the flagship element, but um, you've heard of umbrella species, yeah? I know the term, but I'm trying to, I'm going to, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know what it means. So it, yeah, is it, go on now, you tell me what, well, what does it mean? No, that's great. So that demonstrates my point brilliantly because a lot of people use the terms flagship and umbrella and um, an indicator and, um, and tend to get these things a bit a, a bit muddled about what they actually mean. But uh, as a sort of top predator, um, and because they've got such a large um, 
a large home range and they need a long stretches of river to be able to um, to complete their life cycles. Um, the, these fish can be considered as umbrella species because if you've got if you've got if you've got a stretch of river that's accommodating um, the, um, the self sustainable self sustainability of Marcia populations, that means that everything else can reach um, their migratory their um, their spawning grounds as well. So if you've got Marcia, it also indicates that the water quality is good. It indicates that there's lots of other smaller fish as well. The food chain's complete to have those big predators there. So yeah, they, they qualify as umbrella species. And, and if you can manage a water course and make sure there's Marcia are doing well there in a self-sustainable way, then other species are going to benefit as well. And I'm not just talking about um, aquatic species necessarily, all the other associated fauna in the food chain as well. Like, I mean, the rivers we're working on, you've got crocodiles that eat fish, you've got eagles, otters, um, you know, all sorts of things that are, are, are intimately um, connected with, with, with the fish fauna. So, there's a whole host of wildlife that benefits from Marcia being present. I suppose it's a bit like shad in the UK because they're not very good leapers. If shad can get up a weir, then more or less most fish species can get up a weir. So I guess they'd be classed as an umbrella species as well. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. So, 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 well, I don't know. Different fish have got different. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe I should have thought about that a little, a little bit more. Because I mean, you've got you've got things like lamprey, which have got more specific uh, migratory needs. Okay. But, um, but yeah, certainly if you if, you know if Marcia are getting around, it suggests that there's no big dams. And if if there's no, if there's no big dams, then that means that all fish can move around freely. Right. Okay. And you mentioned about the religious uh, significance of Marcia. Is it right? I seem to remember, like watching, it might have been river monsters or one of those. But you'll get these temples on the on the edge of these rivers, and they'll be almost like pet Marseille. You'll get these vast shoals uh, hanging around the temples, and I think that they're protected, or in some cases they are. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Jack. I mean, in terms of, I mean, I can, I, we can talk a little about conservation before we um, sign off, but. Um, yeah, this is one one sort of mechanism or one one sort of attempt at um, Marcia conservation. So these pools are sacred and and in many cases have been there for many many years. And people will go and go to visit the temple, and they will they will sell things like puffed rice, bits of popcorn and stuff that people can go down and feed these fish. Um, but what you've got there is you've basically got a, you know, a, a lot of them are like aqua, aquaria, really, where you've got this bloody great big shoal of, of big marcia in there. But in terms of conservation, that only works if you haven't got any other threats. These fish are subject to all the other threats that come down the river, such as pollution, um, such as being able to reach spawning grounds to spawn. But one of the most unfortunate things that we've observed in um, these temple pools, particularly in the rivers of southern India, is due to one of the other conservation um, 
projects um, to try and conserve Marseille, which has been uh, aquaculture and and breeding, artificially breeding Marseille and stocking them into rivers. Now, what's happened with this is, is aquaculturists have, have found the easiest Marseille species to breed and have bred them en masse and shipped them out to all different places across the country, which means that some species have been introduced beyond their native range. And what we're finding in rivers where, I mean, one good example is the river um, Carvery, where we have the humpback Marseille, and through our earlier research, managed to actually associate uh, its, to provide it with its first valid scientific name. And of course, without that, you can't do any, any you can't, um, assess the conservation status of that fish that has since allowed us to assess it on the IUCN red list as critically endangered the only one of the 16 marsiers which is critically endangered but in the river where this fish should be what we're seeing in the temple pools now is massive numbers of the bluefin marsier which is torcudri which has been produced en masse by hatcheries and introduced to the river so the humpback marsier, and, and one of the reasons it's become critically endangered is because of this additional pressure of non-natives which have been put into the river um, in a sort of pseudo conservation interest, which which hasn't hasn't really worked. And that, is it? Am I right? Is it they hybridise, or some of them hybridise, and that's an issue as well? But that the, at the moment, this is more of an assumption than okay. proven. But okay. this is is something that we're we are looking at at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll end on this last one because it's interesting to to hear the pressures of river conservation all over the world. But how does it differ to say somewhere like the UK to to river conservation somewhere like India, where you're working with these Marcia? Um, in terms of well, I'm guessing some things are the same, but I mean, there's going to be different pressures in different countries, aren't there? I don't know if there are different priorities. Like, I guess, um, we're, like you mentioned, there aren't many fish passes on, on a lot of these rivers, are there, and things like that. So that's going to be a, a difference. Yeah, and it, it goes back. So, you know, in, in this country, we're, you know, although we might, we might, you know, accuse authorities of getting things wrong in this country and not doing enough for river conservation, um, we, we do have a pretty good awareness of, of the needs of fish in this country. And while um, we are pulling down dams to facilitate fish migration, um, the rate, the speed that they are going up and big dams across Asia is absolutely, absolutely frightening. Uh, it, which takes us back to the fact that fish are out of sight out of mind and in in terms of legislation in i'm focusing more on india now because it's the area that i, I i'm most familiar with having done most of my work there um but you've got one example is you've got the indian wildlife protection act um which is there to protect wildlife um but in the descriptions of wildlife you know you've got birds fish sorry birds um mammals um reptiles amphibians etc etc fish are not mentioned so they, they they don't even count legally as wildlife within the um uh, the wildlife protection act which, which, which affords them 
no protection. There are, there are other things like the, um, the National Wildlife Action Plan, which came out a couple of years ago, which talks has action specifically to do with the stocking of, of fish and the protection of and conservation of the humpback marsia and the golden marsia. The problem is that there just isn't anybody to, there's a whole list of people who should be responsible for, for actioning these things. Um, but because there is no specific organization responsible, nobody picks it up. So nothing gets done. And we're talking about a, you know, a, a, a rapidly um, growing economy where the emphasis is on growth, 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 power production, and fish don't feature in that, unfortunately. I guess it's similar to the UK, say, in the Industrial Revolution, uh, during the Industrial Revolution, where there were all these, you know, weirs being put in and for power and whatnot, and fish weren't overly thought about then. But Yeah, the... the um... Yeah, the, the, I would say the key difference, unfortunately, is the areas that we're talking about where we find Marseille, we're talking about biodiversity hotspots. So in India alone, you've got the um, Western Ghats and, and the Himalayas. So we're talking about really diverse um, aquatic fauna. And as we've seen with one of the biggest freshwater fish in the world, the humpback Marseille, that has nearly gone extinct without intervention and this is a fish that grows to you know 130 150 pound in weight now if fish like that are going extinct how many species are we losing that we're not aware of that we're losing before we've even named um, and that's one thing that's not going to be although we've managed to correct things in this country and bring things back we can't bring species back that have gone extinct. And some of these species may be critical to the function of those ecosystems. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of damage um, being done and continuing to be done really. Yeah, which is, a, which is an awful shame, but um, it's a lot to think about. And I, mean, I didn't really know that much about Marcia going into this, apart from being big, big scaled and, and having whiskers. So I've learned a little bit more about that and I, I think i know what umbrella species means now for about just about uh con got the concept of that as well so it's been great uh having you on adrian and hopefully that'll enthuse the listeners to go and check out the marcia trust yeah please do there's loads of information on there cool i'll take care yeah and thanks for having us on jack take care yourself that was Adrian Pinder talking a little bit about marcia and i should just say as well on a more positive note that uh, Adrian with the Marcia Trust and also Shoal are working together on an initiative called Project Marcia to try and help and conserve them and get a little bit of work done. So there is hope for Marcia, it's not all doom and gloom for them. Now don't forget, on the 24th of October is World Fish Migration Day and leading up to that and on the day there's going to be loads of fishy related content from all over the world. Now you're best positioned to see this from the World Fish Migration Day website or of course you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook on worldfishmigrationday.com. That'll have all the relative links. Now tomorrow in the final podcast for the World Fish Migration Day series I have got Charles Crudwell and he's going to be talking a little bit about shad on the River Severn and the Unlocking the Severn project. 
Hopefully you've enjoyed today's podcast. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I will catch you tomorrow. Cheers. <laughs>